Thank you, Folo, Balu, and uh, Ime. Thank you, everybody, for singing. Good morning. Wow. I don't know how you expect to get through all those songs. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. It's nice to see that spring is sort of in the air. Um, I heard somebody said it's going to go up to 17 degrees this week. Wow, I'm signed up for that. <laughs> so, um, just want to mention before we continue on, I don't know if you have picked up a, a monthly calendar at the back, but in there there's a little insert, and I don't know if this has been publicized or announced. I, I've, I kind of missed a Sunday. Okay, it hasn't been. So all of our messages here at Northbrook, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they're available to you if you want to listen to them at another time through a podcast. You can listen to them in your car as long as you're hands-free. You can listen to them on your iPad. You can listen to them on your um, Android. You can listen to them on your PC. You can listen to them on your Mac. You can listen to them on whatever you want to do, but they are available. And there's this insert here that tells you how to access that. So I would encourage you to get one of those because if, if you miss a Sunday, and I've missed a few, sometimes travel, sometimes illness or whatever, it's always nice that I can, within 10 minutes of when the service is over, go online and listen to the message. Or if there's a message that said, well, that really spoke to me, I'd like to hear it again, I can go back and do it. Um, and then I can go on and try to delete my own messages because I would never listen to my own. So... All right, turn in your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Oh, do you know what I need? Is a fast forwarder. Or else you guys can read my mind on my notes here as to when I advance. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, it will. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord one more time. Thank you, Lord, for... This day, we thank you for your goodness to us and your great love to us. Thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you that we can, through trusting him and placing our faith only in him, that we can be assured that our sins, past, present, and the ones we will commit, will be forgiven, and that we will forever be with him in heaven. Father, we pray for anyone who may be here this morning and doesn't know the truth of sins forgiven, that they may come to trust you. I pray as we look at this passage of Scripture today, this uh, great testimony, that you would speak to our hearts and um, that we would be uh, changed in the way we walk before you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is... <coughs> I'm going to cough a whole lot probably because I've got this cold now for two and a half weeks, uh, and you really need to pray you don't get it because it's going to hang around. There's, I think everybody at work has had this. Two of them are out with pneumonia, so it's, it's ugly. Uh, that's why I have it. Um, this is about the strangest event in the Bible. I know the donkey speaking to Balaam is a pretty strange event, but I've actually seen people train their dogs to speak words. So, okay, that's strange. But what happens in this, as you'll see the next time, is one of the strangest events in the Bible. 
may not be the strangest, but it's pretty, pretty close. So, some time ago, um, <laughs> funny I say strange, and everybody snickers when I put some of those pictures up. Uh, pick your leader. <clears throat> some time ago, and I always watch this every year, I watch the State of the Union address from the U.S. President. And whether you like him or her, whoever the president may be at the time, um, they do have a lot of power in this world. And they, what they have to say, I, we probably want to hear. In fact, I was kind of impressed with what President Trump had done in his, in his speech. I thought, wow, somebody polished him up a bit. And his, his speech was actually much more eloquent than, than uh, he had been perhaps when he was stumping around the country trying to get elected. But the State of the Union is a, a, address is a, is a long tradition in the U.S. We don't have such a thing, but we do on occasion have our, our Prime Minister gets up and, and addresses the Parliament or addresses the country. What we're going to read this morning in Daniel chapter 4 is really uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, and I, I, I'm sorry to use an American term, but a State of the Union address to the, to the nation and to the world. Now, if you could imagine for a minute our Prime Minister standing up and, and saying, you know, to the nation and to the world, uh, you know, distinguished members of parliament, citizens of Canada, citizens of the world. God has spoken to me. First thing you're going to hear is, uh, yikes. And then if he went on and said, and I'm going to tell you what he has spoken to me about my life and these things that you need to hear. Well, the CBC would probably shut down at that point in time. That's, that's likely what would happen. And, and people would be just scrambling, wondering, what in the world do we do here now? But this is what Nebuchadnezzar does. He starts off here and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 1, the king to all peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth. He's going to give a speech to the whole world. Now, I want to give you the timing on this. But we'll, we'll, read the, uh, we'll read the actual passage in a second. The timing on this is about 25 to 30 years after the events of Daniel chapter 3. And if you remember... Daniel chapter 2 and 3, Daniel, uh, he, had a, he had a dream of a statue. Daniel interpreted it, and then he decided, aha, really cool. I'm going to go build my own statue, and people are going to bow down and worship me, my statue. Uh, and then the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, not going to do it. Um, and they th were thrown in a fiery furnace, and they weren't scorched at all, and there was actually another person with them who looked like the son of God. And he went down, he was alarmed, he got, brought them out and said, okay, your God is the God. Okay, so 30 years passed between then and now. Okay, so that's the unfortunate thing. Sometimes you read a chapter of the Bible and then you go right to the next chapter and you think this is the next day. But it's not, it's 30 years later. So Nebuchadnezzar is now, he's an elderly gentleman at this point in time. Um, since Daniel's first the first dream that he interpreted, which was the one of the, of the big statue, about 45 years have passed. So Daniel now is not a young guy. He's 60 years old. He's much older than me. He's Clyde's age. <laughs> so here's the thing. A long time has passed. And a couple of times, Nebuchadnezzar has said, oh yes, the God of heaven is the God. Yes, I recognize. I've seen these events happen. Somebody who's interpreted a dream, not only interpreted a dream, but told me what the dream is, only can do that with power from God. 
three guys go into a fiery blazing furnace and they come out and the only thing that happened was the ropes fell off them. Not a smell of smoke on them, nothing. Oh yes, that has to be from God. But here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar, in his journey, spiritual journey, he was challenged, he was moved, he was impressed by these things that have happened. But the thing is, you can be challenged but not changed. You can be moved but not motivated. And you can be impressed but not pressed to do anything about it. And that's the case with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, he was, he was quick to hear and, and, and see and understand what went on. And, and then nothing changed him up until now. He didn't make any change. He didn't, he, he gave recognition to God, but he didn't come to God in faith. He didn't come to trust him. Remarkably, though, now we read that he has been changed. So there are three lessons I want to look at today. You may have said I'd be coming up and speaking shortly. I hope that meant that I'd be coming up soon and speaking, not shortly as in the length of the message. Actually, there's only three points. <coughs> First of all, God could get a hold of anyone and utterly change him and her, even a politician. We're going to read that here. God can change anyone. And if we don't believe that, then you know what? On Sunday, we should find a sport or a hobby to take up and stop coming here. Because we're coming here because we believe that God can change people. Amen? Amen. We come here because God has changed us. Right? The second thing is, we don't just come and talk about a God who's just kind of out there that, hey, yeah, God's a cool you know, guy when you need him, and God's a vending machine. He's an old man and up somewhere past space that sits around and, and likes some people and doesn't like other people. No, no. God is an active, living being, God, who is involved in the affairs of men. In fact, God rules. God reigns. God is over everything. Everything comes under God's authority. Everything. You do. I do. My boss does. The policemen that drive around in their cars here do. Every single person falls under him. And the third thing I want to look at is we have roles and responsibilities to the authorities around us. And this comes out of this passage, so it's, it, I'm not making this up. Let's go, first of all, to, uh, to read the first of the chapter. Sorry to put it up there in font three, but hopefully you can see that. Um, verses one to four. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Okay, I want you to, I'm going to just stop right there for a second. The word flourishing means to grow green like a plant. Um, my plants in my office actually grow green, but I've had plants that don't grow green. But when they flourish, they're really bright and green and, and, and so on. That's what, that's what he's saying. I'm, I'm flourishing in my palace. This is a remarkable section of Scripture. This is the only part of Scripture ever written by a pagan king, and we know it is because it's, it's written by him because it's all in the first person. I, me, my. I, he, he's speaking himself. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, has written this passage of Scripture. That is remarkable. And he gives his personal account of what happened to him. First of all, it rattled him. This, this, this whole event, it, it shook him up. It, it shook him to the core. And he's talking about a personal encounter with God and how it changed him. See, when somebody encounters God, it changes them. A, go find a proud person who says that they know God, and you've found a liar. A person who encounters God. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, says, Woe is me, for I am undone. He was in the presence of God. When he realized the greatness of God and his insignificance and his sinfulness, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. In more modern times, Peter, the apostle, the disciple, when he was with the Lord, and he realized who the Lord was, he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Thomas, when, when he looked and saw the nail prints in, in the hands of the Lord, he said, My Lord and my God. He was humbled to that point. You see, encountering God will change your life. It brings about a change in the person's life. There's an expression that says if your religion hasn't changed you, maybe it's time for you to change your religion. And I would say that, that that's the case where Nebuchadnezzar was a very religious man and, and, and was honored by his, or honored his religion, and which was polytheism. But he would once in a while get a glimpse of God and he'd say, yeah, I, I, the Most High God reigns. But then he'd go right back to what he was doing. It didn't change him. And you know, there are people who come and they hear the word of God week after week after week and they'll listen to it and they'll hear it and they'll say, yeah, yeah, that's great. What a great message. That was awesome. But, but you haven't come to God and say, I recognize you are the God of heaven. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need to know you. I am, I am separated from you by my sin. There's no way that I can touch you. There's no way I can come near you. But he has made a way through Jesus Christ. And if we just come and we think, yeah, I just give recognition to God and just move on with our lives, we are sadly mistaken. We are not changed. We are not, there is no life in us. And Nebuchadnezzar had done this a number of times, but here now he's talking about changing his, his religion. He goes from a pagan, polytheistic king to believing now in the true God of heaven. This is his personal testimony. You know, there are a few things that are more powerful. People say, well, I mean, how do I talk to people about Jesus? I mean, how do I do that? How do I talk to them about salvation? Your personal testimony takes you about a minute if you want to summarize it. You can tell your own testimony, what God has done, what he, how he has changed you. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. I'm just going to give you my testimony. You know, for me, I, I had this, I still, well, I still have this friend. In fact, he's such a big Leafs fan. We haven't been in touch for a long, long time, but last night I had to go to him and say, you've got two minutes and 48 seconds to just hold your breath now. And at the end of it, he came back to me and he says, I'm blue as the Leafs, you know, so he, he didn't, he held his breath. So my buddy Doug Reynolds, as some of you would know Doug, Doug was the least likely guy in the whole world ever to come to know Jesus Christ. You might know that name. He was the news guy on the radio here on News 95.7 for a long time. Now he's at 660 News, Calgary. So, Doug comes to Christ. This is 35 years ago. Doug comes back. He says, can I take you out to Tim Hortons? I said, sure, let's go to Tim Hortons. I mean, what college student does not want to be taken to Tim Hortons as somebody else's treat? 
And as we sat there and he told me his own testimony of how God changed his life, I recognized and realized right there, everything in my life up to this moment has been for nothing. And I remember looking across the table at him saying, I need what you have. His testimony, that's all he told me. He didn't preach at me. He didn't open a Bible. He didn't read anything. He didn't hammer anything at me. He just told me what had happened to him. Your testimony is a powerful thing. And here's Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. You know, perhaps as we think about this, that God can change anyone, maybe you're thinking of somebody, you'll think, they'll never, they'll never change. They'll never become a Christian. They'll never, I mean, that's so far from their radar. Uh, don't count them out. God can change anyone. I want to encourage you to think about this. God can change anyone. Continue to pray. Continue to tell your testimony. Continue to do what God moves you to do towards that person. I mean, I'd say Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. I'm sure for 45 years to say, huh, Nebuchadnezzar, glad when he's gone. He's never going to change. I'm sure they thought that. He'll never change. Are you kidding me? That king, he is so hard in his ways. I mean, he just kills people for sport. You've got to be kidding. He's not going to change. He did. Anybody can be changed by God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Charles Spurgeon kind of modified that a little bit and said he's able to save to the guttermost those who come to him. It doesn't matter whether you're in a lofty palace or you're in the gutter. God can save that person. And God can change that person. I look around here and I look at all the faces of people that God has changed. Some gutter. Some utter. Some just in between. But God has changed people. And he's intervened in our lives and changed us. God can save and change anyone. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going we're to split this chapter in two because... Time would never get me through this. But he, he comes down with this form of insanity called boanthropy, where he thinks he's a cattle. Um, he believes himself to be some sort of an animal. Um, it, this is, it's, it's a real psychotic disorder. Uh, and there's two other places in secular history where it's actually recorded. Flavius Josephus quotes the Babylonian historian Baratos as saying that this event happened. And the Greek historian uh, Abon... Uh, Abedinus, I guess it would be, also recorded this, this event. Now, that's nice, they recorded it, but the Bible records it, and I, I trust that, so, but, so I know it happened. Let's continue to look here. In verse 3 it says, How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders! His kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. This is like a psalm of praise, and it's the only psalm of praise written by a Gentile king in all the Bible. There are portions of the Bible written by Gentiles. Uh, Luke was a Gentile uh, who wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. But this is a pagan king. And this event was probably written about eight years after the psychotic dis uh, episode was over. And you see, what happened was, he's more or less saying, God got a hold of me in the nick of time. God got a hold of me just at the right time. And that's a little expression that I... I've always liked in the nick of time. You know, just, I saw somebody in a really bad accident on Friday as I went through the intersection up in Burnside. And I thought, wow. It, had, had somebody just, a nick of time, it would have been different. The cars would have passed. 
But it was a really, really bad accident. But see, sometimes God will save a person just at the right time, just in a nick of time. The thief on the cross, for instance, life was sapping out of his body. He was dying, and he recognized Jesus Christ as the Lord of heaven and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Saved at the nick of time. Now, let's look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Verse uh, 4. Here we are. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me, so I gave orders to bring in to my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related this dream to them, or the dream to them, that's a little different than the last time when he said, tell me what the dream was. This time he's kind of caught on. They don't know how to do that, so he tells them the dream. But they could not make the interpretation known to me. And then in uh, verse 8 he says, but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, if you're reading a King James or a New King James, you're probably saying, well, wait a second, it doesn't say that. It says, the spirit of the holy god is in you. And I just read, the spirit of the holy gods is in you, small g. It's not really known what is correctly translated there, but it's quite possible and... Uh, that because he's recounting the story of as he said it when he came into the room. Remember, he had not come to recognize the Most High God at this point in time. He had recognized Daniel has a spirit of the holy gods in him. And that's probably the correct rendering of that. So just if you're looking at it and it reads differently than what I have, that's why. Um, both are correct, obviously, because Daniel did have the spirit of the holy God in him. Uh, but as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, at this point in time when he had said these words, he was probably thinking, oh yeah, one of the gods is dwelling in, in Daniel. Belteshazzar is the name he gave Daniel according to his gods. And now, here he is, he's recognizing the one true God. Here's the thing. Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, is completely changed. And if you go back and you look at what he says in verse 1, it seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. It would seem to me that Nebuchadnezzar truly was converted and came to know God. If that's the case, here's an interesting thing, an amazing thing. We will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Isn't that, isn't that a remarkable thing to think that King Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven? This wicked pagan Babylonian king. Why? Because he surrendered to the God of heaven. Because he recognized that in light of who God is, he's a sinner. And he needed to be saved. And he needed to humble himself before God. Now, let's go back to what was going on here. He fell asleep and he had a dream. A dream from God. And at this time, it's a dream about his personal future. 
He was flourishing or growing green in his palace. 45 years prior, he had a dream. That was about the kingdoms of the world. But this time, it's a little different. I can just kind of see him sitting there with his hands behind his head and his feet up on a pillow or something and thinking, wow, this is the life. I've got it made. And he just sort of fell asleep and then this dream came. 45 years ago, he dreamt about different empires, different kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world. Now the difference is this dream is about the future of Nebuchadnezzar, not the future of the world. This is the future of you. God is speaking to him personally. God speaks to him personally and it rattles him. So he calls in all the psychics, and I, I, we're not sure why. I guess we're all creatures of habit. Um, humans are creatures of habit. We all are. If you struggled with something in the past, you probably struggle with it today. Worry, lust, greed, discouragement. If you were a worrier yesterday, you're probably a worrier today. So he defaulted to what he normally did. Call in, you know, psychic Joanna and her crew, and, and they would tell the future. They don't give him the answer. Why didn't he call Daniel first? We don't know. Maybe he was traveling. Maybe it's because he still believed in all of these gods. But anyway, he finally does bring Daniel in. And he says to Daniel, I know you're different. You have a spirit of the holy God in you. I've been watching you. Nothing rattles you, Daniel. You don't panic. Your eye is on God. It's not on the circumstances. You recognize God. I'm calling you in because I've watched you. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 13, we read, uh, okay, went too far. In verse 13, he says, I was looking at the visions in my head as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. So he talks about a watcher here, a watcher from heaven. It's kind of in the middle of this. I don't have the, but if you look down in verse 13, right down about there. <laughs> there. <laughs> the low-tech pointer. <laughs> I lay on my bed and an angelic watcher came. Now watcher is the word for an angel, an angelic watcher. I find that interesting. The word watcher, those who watch, watchers. It says that the angels actually look down on the saints as they worship God. They watch us as we come and, and gather together to worship. It, it's a baffling thing to them in some ways that human beings can do this. There are watchers, there are angels. Uh, I think about that and I think, well, you know, we kind of live our lives sometimes thinking, oh, nobody saw me do that. There are watchers. There are those who see. Lewis Berry Schaefer says, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. They see. God sees. God knows. The angels see. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There is nothing that's a secret to God. Nobody at the end of the day is going to say something to God and he's going to say, whoa, that surprised me. He knows. He knows it all. The angels are sent by God to minister to us, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. I've never, that I know of, seen an angel, but they do exist. They do have a purpose. They, they're messengers. They work for God. And this angel comes to Nebuchadnezzar. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, he states the purpose of the dream. 
in verse 17 and 18. That would be a new slide. Verses 17 and 18, right at the bottom part of the page. Uh, in the middle of the page, sorry. Uh, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realms of mankind, and bestows on it, and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream, this is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men in my kingdom are able to make it known to me its interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. That brings us to our second point. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, this, is, this is kind of where, where, we, where we stop, because we're going to split this chapter in two and, and finish the, the rest at another time. But the second point in, in, in all of this is that God rules over the affairs of men. God rules over the affairs of men. You see, God is not subject to anyone. God is not ruled by anyone. No one tells God what to do. He does what he wants. It says in Isaiah chapter 46 and 10, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And three times in this chapter, he's called, or it's called out, The Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men. God is the one who rules. He is over all. No one can restrain his hand, it says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. God rules over all of our affairs. All of it. Everything in my life. There's not one thing in my life that would surprise God. There's not one thing in your life or in this world. The things that are going on in the, in the, in the Middle East... And the things that are going on in Russia, the things that are going on in the U.S. election, the things that are going on in our country, all of those things, God is not surprised by any of it. He rules over it all. You're saying, well, that's fun for us. What are we, like robots just being moved around on a, on a table? No, not really. A.W. Tozer did a, gave a great illustration. He said, uh, I put the quote up there. He said, an ocean liner leaves New York bound for Liverpool. You could tell A.W. Tozer lived in a day that didn't have airplanes. Um, it, its destination has been determined by proper authorities. Nothing can change that. This is a faint picture of sovereignty. On board that, airline, uh, that ocean liner are several scores of passengers. These people are not in chains, neither are their activities determined by decree. They are completely free to move about as they will. They eat, they sleep, they play, they lounge on the deck, they read, they talk together. All together as they please, but all the while, the great liner is carrying them steadily toward a predetermined port. The ocean liner of God's sovereignty goes over the sea of human history, and it moves unhindered toward the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. You see, while God is sovereign, he has given us freedom. We can come and go and do as we please, not without God's watchful sovereignty. He knows. He knows what we were doing. When God says it is appointed to man once to die and after this the judgment, that, that, that stands. You can do whatever you want up until that. Well, you can't really do whatever you want up until that. But you, you can interact and do different things in your life and make decisions. and have. But that day is coming. There are things that are in God's predetermined plan that, and eternal purposes that will happen. And God rules over those things. God rules over the affairs of men. 
God overrules in political affairs. In, uh, first of all, he has appointed human government. He often allows the worst of people to rule. When you, when you think of it, Pharaoh, Herod the Great, Antiochus Epiphanes, Nebuchadnezzar, Caesar, all of these men. Are they great people? No. They were rotten people. But God allowed them to rule. God allowed them to rule. It doesn't mean that God approves of their actions, but he reserves control for their appointments. So don't get too excited if your guy gets elected. Or, because it says here, the angel says, he sets over them the lowest of men. Enough said. <laughs> so here's my, my third point. What does this have to do with me? What does all this have to do with me? As far as God ruling, as far as human government being put in place by God. This is where we come to the part about human government and the believer's responsibility. And we don't talk about this very much. Just like we don't talk about money, we don't talk, there's certain things we don't talk about. But we have a responsibility when it comes to government. And no matter what form of government, we are responsible as Christians to be model citizens. That's our responsibility. Power belongs to God. It says in Psalm chapter 62, verse 11. And you see Jesus standing bound before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate looks at him, and he's about to crucify him. He's about to send him to the cross. And he says, Jesus is standing there, and he's bound. As we would say, his goose is cooked. And Pilate says, don't you understand? I have power over you to take your life. And Jesus looks right back in his eye and says, you have no power except it came from God. You have no power other than what God has given you. You may have abused that power, but his power came from God. John chapter 19, verse 11, if you want to read that. <clears throat> Psalm 62, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God. And there's the passage right there. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power against me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered to me to you has the greater sin. So in closing, I want to look at Romans chapter 13. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, and verses 1 to 7, this speaks about our responsibility under government. Remember, God sets the power in place. It says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, every person, every person, every Christian, every person, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God for you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear, or for it, meaning the government, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on uh, the one who practices evil. Verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, 
not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Have you ever thought of the Canadian Revenue Agency as God's ministers? I kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a hard one to get your head around, isn't it? But it says here they are minister, God's ministers according to doing this very thing. Render, therefore, all that is due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So what about cruel and unfair governments? I mean, what, what about that? I mean, even our government's not a cruel government, but there's many days that I just, like, read things in the paper or whatever, and I'm disgusted with what, what happens. But what about that? Paul wrote Romans 13. Guess who was... Guess who was Emperor Nero. And guess what Nero was doing? Killing Christians for sport. Covering them with, covering them with tar and setting them on fire as torches in his gardens. Putting them in front of, having lions tear them apart. Just for sport. And Paul wrote this. And he wrote it to the Romans. The ones who lived and saw that happen every day. You know, sometimes... Well, the other thing I was going to say is David, when he ran from King Saul, Saul wanted to kill him. But what did David say? He said, let the Lord judge between you and me, but my hand shall not be against you. Wicked rulers sometimes are used by God to punish nations. We see that in Daniel chapter 1. The whole reason that Daniel and all the Jews were taken into Babylon was to punish that nation for what they had done. God allowed that to happen. And sometimes they come under a harsh ruler to punish a nation. Wicked rulers sometimes are used to purify God's people. The early church flourished under the persecution of the Roman government. It grew thousands of people every day under persecution. In China, this is an interesting account. There were about 800,000 converts to Christianity when the Chinese government closed the door to Western missionaries in the 1940s. This is what they figured that with all the work that had gone on in China at that point in time, about 800,000. The church had to go underground. Many were murdered because of their faith. It was illegal to be a Christian or to own a Bible to, to some extent, I, I believe. I'd have to check some of this. David, you would know far more than, than I would on this. But now it's estimated, as things opened up and people have been back into China, that there is up to 100 million believers in China. So many, many years of missionaries, Western missionaries working in China, 800,000 converts. Persecution in a closed country. Difficult times, harsh government. 100 million converts. Sometimes God uses those things to bring people to where they should be. And no matter how bad things get, here's another wonderful thing. The gospel is not going to be hindered. The gospel will still continue to go forth. Now, okay, one last point. Is there ever a time to violate the government and not to submit? We are to submit. That's very clear. The scriptures teach us. We are to submit to the government. Sometimes I say that and I kind of get this like queasy sort of feeling, but, but, it's, but it's true. The, the scriptures, this is one of those things where you look in the scriptures and say, this is really hard. I read this and I don't want to, but I know I have to because this is what the scriptures tell me I have to do. Is there ever a time to say no? There is. 
And we'll see that in Daniel chapter 6. We already saw it the last time on Daniel chapter 3. Come and bow to my statue. You're not going to pray anymore. The midwives in Pharaoh's time, Moses' mother, disobeyed, had a boy, hit him in a bulrush. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, were told, this is it. No more preaching the gospel. And they said, uh, sorry, but we have to obey God rather than men. So whenever the government commands us to do what God forbids us to do, or forbids us to do what God commands us to do, we obey a higher law. But that doesn't give you license to get out of here and drive up Woodland Avenue at 80 kilometers an hour. Just because, hey, I got a bunch of people coming to my place and they're Christians. We are to obey the law. We are to obey what the, what the scriptures say here. But there are occasions, and they are very rare occasions, when the government may ask us to do things that God forbids, or forbids us to do what God commands us to do, those are the times the disobedience of the law are permitted under God. All right, finally. What's our relationship to the government? What should we do? I think I have these points here. Yes, I do. Obey the law. Obey the speed limit. Let's start today, on the way home. <laughs> okay? as a guy who's got a speeding ticket before. Show respect for human authority. Submit to it. Support it with taxes. Pray for it. And occasionally we have to disobey it if, if it violates the, God, the law of God. Be honest with your taxes. I didn't know I'd be speaking this message in April. It was supposed to be a month ago. But it's tax time. You've got three weeks. Claim everything you can, believe me. But legally. And pay them. I, I was astounded. I had a Christian at my home who told me he hasn't paid taxes in seven or eight years. Shame on you. Shame on you. That is a direct violation against the Word of God, directly, clearly. Pay your taxes. Here's something you can do. Pray for your government. I was, I was with uh, John and Kevin and a couple of men down, downtown one, one night and we, you know, no tracts given out. We just went out and we stood on the street and we prayed for the government. We prayed for the federal government. We prayed for the policemen that were going up and down the street. We, put, we prayed for the mayor of the city. We prayed for the, for the premier of the province. Pray for, your, for those, those who lead you. If Nebuchadnezzar can be saved, I believe Justin Trudeau can be saved. I believe Donald Trump can be saved. I believe Assad can be saved. I believe they all can. If we don't think it's possible, look at Nebuchadnezzar, look at his life, and look at who he was. We have a God who is mighty to save. We have a God who can save anyone, from the uttermost to the guttermost. Obey the speed limit, pay your taxes, pray for your government, and submit to the government and submit to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account that we read this morning, we think of how amazing it is that you would save a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar. We think of what an amazing thing that you would save any sinner. Father, we are all the same. All of us in this room. All of us in this city. We have sinned, we have offended a holy God, and we all need a savior. We all need to be delivered from that sin. And you have provided that through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank you that when he died on the cross, he in his sinlessness took on our sin on himself to be the sacrifice in our place that we might be freed from sin. And as we read this account today, we, we realized that you rule over all things and you are mighty to save. And we thank you and we praise you for this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, we need